You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, 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 good people. What is going on? I'm probably sounding a little bit weird because I'm trying to talk a little bit quiet because I'm coming at you from the lobby of the Marqueen Hotel in Seattle, Washington. I forgot to record my outro slash intro before I left the shred shed and I'm here up in Seattle doing some recording with my dude Daniel Harmon. Shout out Daniel. I'm actually playing some guitars on his record. I made a bunch of noise on it this weekend and I can't wait for you guys to hear that. That's going to be super, super cool. Anyways, I'm here in the supposedly haunted Marqueen Hotel recording this intro for you for this episode. I think you're really really going to enjoy this conversation. We go over a lot of the uh, trials and tribulations of uh, small business and the gear world, which I know you know is one of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast, and a lot of other things. And it's fun. It's fun. It's always fun to talk to people who are in this thing day to day on that grind. Anyhow, I guess I probably don't need to waste any of your time with this weird, whispery voice that I'm giving you right now. Like I said, this place is supposedly haunted. I don't know if that's true or not, because I've slept like a baby. But if you Google it, Marqueen Hotel, Seattle haunted, some stuff comes up, I'm just saying. Anyhow, just a quick reminder before we jump into this episode, there is an ad-free option of this episode. If you do not like the new ad format, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for $3 a month, you can get the ad-free bonus episode. Oh boy, air brakes going off in the background. That's professional. Anyhow, you can get the ad-free bonus episode, and if you want more, you can get extra episodes, and that is just 5 bucks a month. And those will almost never have anyone in the background making any kind of uh, sounds at all. I kid, of course. These people are doing their jobs. They're working hard. I'm just here in their lobby annoying everyone. Anyhow, let's get into this episode. Let's go. Let's talk to Taylor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Taylor Cox from Amplified Nation. What's going on, dude? Hey, Blake. I'm so happy to be here, man. Thanks I'm, for having me on the show. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Thank you for reaching out. This is uh, this is exciting. Yeah, I know we've been talking for a couple months. I've been following you on Instagram, watching your show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I feel like before you reached out, I know, you know, it's hard for me to trace back like the way the internet is these days. It's like I, I knew that I, I answered it the DM because I knew I had heard of you before. You know, it wasn't the, it wasn't completely out of the blue. 
but I couldn't remember where. I was like, is this a gear page thing? Is this, I can't remember where I knew of the brand from, but I definitely did. But I didn't quite realize, you know, the how extensive your background was with this very specific thing. So I want to get into that. But before we get into, you know, the dissection, the dissecting of the dumbbells and all that, like, when did you start playing? Like, what's your, what's your superhero origin story? Well, man, I, I play guitar my whole life. Like, you know, started guitar when I was in seventh grade, I think, you know, back when uh, grunge was really popular in oh, the nineties yeah. and uh, you just fell in love. You know, I had a, a couple of electrics. I remember I had a Gibson Les Paul standard um, that I loved. It was like black with the, the pink chainsaw case with like the yes. um, plush inner side. But yeah, man, I just loved guitar and like, you know, played my whole life. Um, and then when we were, uh, I was living closer to Boston with my wife and just looking to make some extra money on the side. So I started doing some stuff on Craigslist and I was doing restoration and uh, Tolex repair. So if somebody had like an old Marshall or a Fender and they wanted to make it look new again, mm-hmm. you know, they'd find me on Craigslist. They could, they could stop by the house, drop their amp off. I'd, I'd strip it, change the color, um, or just like, you know, re- restore something back to its original state. Um, but it was funny, man. Cause like we had this tiny little apartment and I'd have bands like bring like, bass cabs and like guitar half stacks and stuff and like, like <laughs> wheel them into our one bedroom apartment. I'd lay the Tolex out on the floor. Um, but, uh, it was great, man. You know, we kind of got started and just like built a passion for, for gear. You know, it was just like really fun back then, um, to just kind of be involved with it and like buy stuff and like get all this like gear and just like be immersed in the whole like community. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the Craigslist days. It's kind of funny that you bring that up. I remember meeting a guy off Craigslist that had built like a bunch of Fender clones and going into his basement and noodling around on like he's like, this is my take on a Princeton. It was it was kind of funny because I remember being like, this doesn't sound like a Princeton, but uh, sure. You know, and uh, I just forgot that Craigslist used to be such an integral part of the gear world. It kind of has fallen by the wayside, at least around here. I mean, there's still a lot of buying and selling that happens, but I don't see people getting companies off the ground on Craigslist like they used to. It's kind of an interesting trend. Yeah. I mean, there's just like so many other places to go now, mm-hmm. but dude, there used to be like everything on Craigslist and you could, you could go, go on there and like kind of trust people. And, and then it just got to a point where like, it just feels icky at yeah. this point to be like, <laughs> especially like buying gear or having those people like come over your house, you know, just mm-hmm. random people that you meet and I do that now, but I got like a nice spot and stuff. We got a commercial location, so it's not quite this shady. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's that's funny. I, I was reminded of my friend Leon. He uh, he has a pedal company called Pelican Noiseworks. He bought a uh, like a Silvertone Twin Twelve off Craigslist years ago, and I remember like the guy kind of was trying to pull a fast one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, "Oh, here's the amp," and he's like, "It works," and he's like, "Do you have an, any video clips or anything to prove that?" Because they met in like a parking lot of a Kroger or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, the guy's like, no, I didn't do that, but it works. Trust me. It does. And, and he's like, well, let's just verify that real quick. And he pulled a generator out of the back of his van and <laughs> plugged oh, it nice. in and, the, and it didn't work properly. And so, yep. yeah, you got a few bucks off, but man, the, the crazy Craigslist days, such a, such a wild time. Really. Yeah, so I had like a, I was custom Tolex at gmail.com. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I just had like a, it was like custom Tolex and restoration. And shortly after that, um, you know, we wanted to give like the business a name. 
Yeah. Uh, so my my wife had some skills in front page. Do you remember that? Oh, it was like a, yeah. it was way before like Squarespace and everything. Mm-hmm. You could build a web page and it would help you. I think with some of the coding. I actually never did it any of myself, but uh, she was like, "Let's create a web page." So we were just like, "All right, sweet. Let's call it Amplified Nation." And sure. we named the business like way back then, and it just stuck like the whole time. Um, so that was back in 2009 or 2010. And shortly after that, I started. Uh, we moved outside of the city. And I bought all these tools to um, redo the hardwood floor in my house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I should start building my own cabinets. So I started doing like one or two little cabinets and they were selling like really fast. And I'm like, this is amazing, you know? So I got hooked into that and uh, ended up just like building a cabinet business over three or four years and started doing more advanced stuff like mm-hmm. the suede cabinets for for Dumble guys, like guys that were building their own amps. Yeah, um, They had no place to get cabinets. So I was like, all right, let's put a design together. So I like basically just learned all this stuff. Um, I got some books from the library on like woodworking and you know how to set up your table saw and all this stuff. Bought a really big table saw and started making dumbbell style cabinets. And uh, I just did that for a while. And it got me like so much cool experience because at the end of it, like when I got really good at building cabs, mm-hmm. like you could just tell me what you wanted or tell me what the chassis dimensions were. And I would design something in my head. But when I first started, I didn't have those skills. So I'd be like, man, if you want me to build like a, a cabinet for your amp, you got to send it to me because I got to measure it. You know what I mean? And right. like, I didn't have all the skills to drill. So I got all this really great experience, like seeing, seeing like some of the best amps that were out there, you know, like two rocks, Bluto tones, um, bunch of other ones some fuchs i started working with fuchs a little bit and uh and i just like was able to hear these beautiful dumbbell style amps man and like again like just got hooked even more into like the guitar world Mm -hmm. you know like it almost made like guitar like even more of a passion because it wasn't just about the guitar anymore i had like the amps and then i was putting it together and i was building stuff and then like people wanted it you know what i mean like yeah you're building something and then like someone's like dude i want that it makes it even better. You're like, man, this is just an amazing thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. So I did the cabinet stuff for a while. And then I had so much great experience like seeing and playing those amps. I started building my own amps and uh, did stuff like in the Dumble style, you know, John Mayer kind of stuff. And uh, that, that took off. And by like 2015 or 2016, I had four or five different models. And, you know, we redesigned the website and stuff. And just kind of taken off from there. And uh now I got a pretty cool spot just outside of Boston. Got two guys working here. Um, you know, we're probably doing like eight or ten amps a week and nice. uh, just crank cranking stuff out, man. I'm sitting in the demo room right now. I got a bunch of stuff in here. So yeah, it's great, man. That's the dream super come cool. true. So did the Dumble thing, did that come because you got really into those amplifiers yourself or the musicians that played them? Or was it just simply like, this is what people are asking for. I better dive into it. You know, there's a couple different things. So it was definitely, um, you know, the the way the amp sounded and how they felt. And a lot of my guitar heroes did play those amps. I didn't really know it, you know what I mean, back when I was listening to those guys. Sure. But we found that out. And and um, but you know, I really loved the all the drama that was like in the Dumble style <laughs> world. You know. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> there was there was like the secretism of the designs. There was the gooping of the amps. And then there was even like the gooping of the amps of the cloners. And then the cloners were fighting and they were like, you know, who's building the best Dumble style amp? Um, and who's got the real, you know, the real information? And I just like 
and you know the other thing is like it always seemed like that's where the money was going because mm-hmm. i think it's like the money like followed the drama or something um but i just loved it like it was sexy and uh i love the way the amp sounded and stuff but yeah man there was like something a little more to it you know what i mean yeah yeah i remember the first time i heard the word dumble the name dumble i was literally like sitting in a truck i used to be a mechanic and so i was mm-hmm. sitting in a in a big old volvo and it was i was on break and you know, as gearheads do, scrolling the forums, watching YouTube videos, watching Andy demos, doing all this stuff. And I, I stumbled across the gear page, I think gear page, it might have been Telecaster forum, something where it was a comment. It was just somebody making a snarky comment. They were like, yeah, oh, yeah, what is gear this? Page. yeah, probably <laughs> it was some, but it was like, oh, what does this guy think he's Dumble? And I was like, what's Dumble? You know, what's I, I don't even remember what they were referring to. It was referring to some amp builder that apparently thought highly of themselves or this person thought they ha- thought highly of themselves. And so I, I immediately started Googling, Googling Dumble, like Dumble amp. Like, what is this? And I'm finding all these pictures of Santana and all these things. And I'm like, <laughs> I had no idea this was such a big deal. And I saw the prices and how I like got kind of obsessed with the mystique. Like you're talking about like, what is this? What in the world is this thing? And why are people so crazy about it? If you're right, the drama is, Unlike, I mean, the only thing you could probably compare it to is maybe, maybe the Klon, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. But even there, it's not quite to that level, you know. And then the Klon, you know, circuit is pretty well established at this point. People know what it is and how to make it. I think there's still a certain level of mystique around the Dumble stuff that where not everyone fully knows the ins and outs of it. So when did you first, like, what was your first experience trying to dissect this? There was a guy that I met that lived in a town called Winchester, which is just just outside of Boston. It's a really nice suburb. And um, he had seen my Craigslist ad. Mm-hmm. So it was way back. And he was like, hey, man, can you make me or can you recover my amp in suede? And I was like, who is like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this guy's insane. I was like, I, I don't think I could do that. And he was like, well, you should come by and check out some of the stuff that I have. And uh, I was like, all right, sweet. So I went to his house and he had, I think he had three real dumbbells in his basement. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was just wild. I didn't even know what they were. One was yellow. It was number 84. It was a combo. It had the Vox cloth and an old EBM 12 in it. Beautiful amp. He had a dual showman that was converted into an overdrive special and had rectifier tubes in the back, which was wild. Yeah. And then I think he had the super reverb that was also modded. And he, he let me play the amps and they just like sung like nothing I'd ever heard before, you know? And, um, and it just got me, got me kind of hooked on it. I mm-hmm. thought they were so great. But one of the things, like you know, that added to the to the drama and everything is like not not all the amps were the same, right? So right. you could get information on a specific dumble, but maybe that wasn't a great dumble. You know what I mean? And so your information isn't as valuable as if you got information on a really great sounding dumble mm-hmm. or one that was played by a celebrity or something. So then there was even that too, where guys were fighting about like, well, did you clone a good one? Right. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> So there was even more drama. And then good or bad, obviously, is kind of subjective uh, or very subjective. And he would also make amps for specific people. So I know for a fact that some of my friends play things that I can't make sound good. Like I'm like, this is just mushy and gross and I can't do anything with it. And they plug in to the same exact rig and it sounds glorious, you know, so it it really 
does come down to the player at the end of the day, but also he would make things for if like if he decided to make you an amp and you were going to do it, he listened to your music. I mean, that's the the legend, right? He would listen to your music, listen to you play and try to tune it specific to you. So one person to another, it might sound like trash or treasure, depending on who's plugging into it. Yeah. You know, it's the crazy thing, too, is like even an amp like the Overdrive Special that's so simple, only having a clean and an overdrive channel, like you can make the slightest tweak to a grid resistor or a resistor in the preamp that controls the tone stack and the amp completely changes. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could have one of those amps that's got a certain preamp that sounds great with humbuckers and then the next one's got a different amp, a different uh, style preamp. Maybe the plate resistors are lower and that amp shines really well with strats. Yeah. You know, so it's like even just the slightest change, you can really make a difference in the voicing and then tailor to that specific customer, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you first started trying to make these, did you base it off a specific Dumble or did you base it off of just kind of the conglomeration of different ideas that you had saw floating Yeah, so I, um, I got some information. There's a lot of information online that's available for guys that want to build their own amps. And uh, there's a website called The Amp Garage and you can go on there and there's schematics and layouts for different Dumbles. And the one that I had decided I wanted to build was those Robin Ford's 102, Mm -hmm. which is a high plate Skyliner, late 80s voicing. And uh, if you've heard Robin, like you know what the tone is. You know, it's chirpy, kind of saxophone sounding. Um, It's got a lot of like note flipping going on, cool compression on the front end of the note. Um, And and that's actually probably grown to be my favorite Dumble preamp. Um, but that's, that's where I started and, mm-hmm. uh, built one of those, built a hundred watt. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause that ant amp ended up selling like before I, I had it online, I had kind of built up like a reputation of being a great cabinet builder. And it, it was actually, I think the guy that had the Dumbles in Winchester bought that amp from me. And I okay. was like, wow, people want this stuff too. So like, I was like, Hey man, I'll start building my own amps. So it was a bit of a learning curve, like for <laughs> sure, you know, Absolutely. not so much like putting the amp together, but like, how do you put an amp together? Like that doesn't break, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you can send to someone and like, you actually, um, you know, create like a product with some longevity, you know, something that like is durable and things like that. And then how do you do that? Um, you know, repeatedly. Yeah. What were some yeah. of those early lessons? So you built one. And then you realize you needed to increase the reliability. So what are some of the things you started integrating that helped that? Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate. And 99 preset locations in 33 banks? And something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world 
do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Well, there was a lot of big things that I did. The first was like really, you know, getting your soldering skills to the point where like you could work for NASA, you yeah. know, like you really got to like pay attention to stuff, you know, extreme attention to detail, um, you know, heating up your work and things like that. Um, but some of the best things that I did to my product, uh, first of all, was, was getting everything done and machined at a metal shop. So oh. like I got a, I got a program called SolidWorks that allows you to 3D model metal parts. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and like design a full sheet metal thing in your computer. It's, it's the coolest thing ever. Um, and then you basically just like design this thing and you send the file to the metal shop and they can pull out like all the design files are called DXF files and then just create your product. So that allowed me to like, never have to drill any new holes by myself. You know what I mean? So like everything mm -hmm. was in the exact spot. And um, after I learned that, I also found out that you could have those guys install hardware into the chassis. Right, right. So it's called PEM. And then that hardware never comes loose. So like in the early days, you know, I'd, I'd have um, an amp that had like a whole bunch of screws and nuts and washers and stuff like that. And maybe something would come loose on the road. Yeah, you know, you can't have like a screw floating around in the middle of an amp. Like, <laughs> that's not a good thing. No, no, like something bad is going to happen. So, um, once I switched over to PEM, we were able to create like something that was just like rock solid, and it's cool too. Because if you look at like the bottom of our amps or even the back of our amps, you'll see that there's parts that like, uh, like say say the IEC jack, like where you plug your power cable in. Mm -hmm. There's parts that like there should be screws. But there's not screws because there's PEM inserts inside that are actually sitting under the paint that were cold forged into the oh, chassis. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's a really clean look, and uh, which I love. And the other thing is it's like super durable because like there's there's actually not a screw that can come loose. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all one So that unit. was really great. Yep. And um, I think the other things is, is really just like almost uh, creating, you know, a system so you can double check your work and... Um, now we like burn all the amps in for 30 or 40 hours. I have, oh, wow. <laughs> dude, there's like, I almost have, there's, I have two guys working for me. Like at least two of us will play every single amp and go through all the features and make sure the reverb tank works and sounds correct. And like the bright switch works. Um, and sometimes I'll even have everyone just like spend 15 or 20 minutes with an amp. So mm -hmm. it's like, you can do all the checking that you want, um, but you also have to play it. Yeah. You know, like you have to sit with it for a while and just make sure that it sounds the right way and puts a little bit of life on it. Um, but that's that's been a game changer, too. Yeah. Yeah. The burn in is is an interesting thing because you hear different people say different things about it. So do you literally just like flick it on the standby and let it run for however long or do you 
well, how do you do, what's the process like on that? Yeah, bro, we, we, just, we just let it run. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do it. I, we take, I have like these cradles and so we'll put the chassis in the cradle. So it's not actually in a head shell because right. the tubes like throw off a ton of heat and I just plug it into a speaker cab and just let it hiss, you know, oh, okay. and it'll sit there, turn it up a little bit um, and just let it run for like a full day or two. We'll turn it off so it doesn't get like super hot for a couple hours, and let it cool down. Um, but we just let it run and we can hear if there's any crackling, which might indicate a poor solder joint or, you know, maybe a bad tube if it's, if it's humming. Um, but it really just puts some life in the components. So if you have maybe a capacitor that, that went bad mm-hmm. or that's going to go bad, you sort it out now. Got it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of guys do that. And I think one of the valuable things is really just listening to it and making sure that it's going to be quiet. Right. You know, so I got three or four burning in right now in here. Um, gets hot because <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> these tubes and stuff. But then we, then we even take them, we load them into the chassis and I burn or into the head cabinet and we burn them even, even more in the warehouse and then we play them and stuff like that. So yeah, man, I think it's just really putting some life on them. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys that I know, they'll say to like, bring your amp home and let it run for 30 or 40 hours after, or actually I've heard guys that say 30 or 40 days. Really? That seems I don't know. Excessive. Like, that seems, seems like excessive. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, um, I, I think that even the guys I talked to that have had some of our products for like five or six years, like they tell me like the amp just keeps getting better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, think it's just life. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, we, when we talk about pedals and I know there's, there's some debate around this, depending on who you talk to, you know, that the, uh, I'm thinking somebody in particular that I won't name, but, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's some debate around like components types you know, it's specifically yep. in pedals and how much of a difference that really makes and, and, you know, where in the circuit it matters and where it doesn't, you know, but in amps, the, it seems to be pretty universally accepted that the voltages and and everything is so high that the, you can actually hear a difference in component type, not just how they measure, you know, more so than in a pedal was, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, there's uh there's kind of three main types of resistors that come to mind. There's a metal film, a carbon film, and a carbon comp. Mm-hmm. And all three of those have different sounds and different qualities. And it's funny because like the metal film is the quietest resistor. Right. But has like a kind of a tinny sound. Like it's not the best sounding resistor. And then a carbon comp is what they use in like the old fenders and stuff. Mm-hmm. And those are probably the best sounding resistor, but they have more noise. Right. You know, so carbon film, and I'm talking about stuff that's in the signal path. Carbon film seems to be like right in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. So you've got a, a resistor that's quiet, but still sounds like organic and, you know, really lets the guitar shine. So we use those in the signal path. And then we still use some metal film stuff for like plate resistors and, and power supply stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you may not have actual guitar tone flowing through those resistors and some of those resistors set the bias points and set the voltages for the different tubes so you want them to be kind of precise you yeah. know so where a carbon film or a carbon composistor may have a tolerance of five percent or two percent you can get metal films that are one percent mm-hmm. so 100k is 100k right you know? so if you have a, a spot where like the voltage is splitting like it's even you know what i mean yeah Yep. Yeah. But make, uh, no, the pedal, the pedal guys are crazy, man. They like all those like germanium tr- transistors and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I can tell you like in, in 
things like simple circuits like fuzz faces and and whatever, you can really you can tell at a component level. But some of the more yep. complicated ones or things that are real he- real heavy, it's like ah, that's gonna be that's gonna be tough. <laughs> I think yeah. a, a lot of the times, not all the time. There's exceptions to almost every rule, but you know that there's some people who really it's starting to I think lessen a little bit, but. There's some people who really harp on the SMT thing still when it comes to pedals. Oh wow! Yeah, and I'm like, well, you know that like this. I feel like this has been debunked, but some people are still all about like it has to be through hole because bigger components means bigger tone or something. I don't, I don't really yeah. understand that. It does make sense. I, I don't do any of that SMT stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it looks cool, like you know, because it's like all automatic soldering and stuff, and like yeah. they just, I think they use like wave soldering or even just like, I don't know, heat. But it's a, definitely a way to build a lot of stuff real fast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you and know. it's and it can it can tend like you said tend to be quieter and things like that. And it, and it comes down to like I think that comes down to circuit design somewhat more than it does, you know, what which resistor you're using in a in a pedal. But amps are amps are kind of a different ball game as far as far as I'm aware. I don't know. I'm kind yeah. of a layperson. I know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think where the the pedal is usually like you know just a little teeny part of the chain yeah you know where the amp is such a large component obviously it's, it's gonna you're gonna be able to hear more you know subtle differences to it well yeah i mean essentially that some people have asked me before you know i have x amount of dollars do i go with like a really good guitar and an okay amp or the other way around and i it sounds counterintuitive to some people but i'm like get a really good amp and your mediocre guitar will sound amazing you know like that's that's my general take on it and i'm sure you share a similar a similar thing as a guy who makes really nice amplifiers yeah man i've got some really high-end guitars and um i don't really play them that much yeah i I like i have some uh i have some like like middle ground guitars you know there's still custom shop stuff Mm -hmm. and that's usually what we play uh, and I think that stuff sounds just as good as like the master built, you know, five or $6,000 strats. Yeah. Um, or even like the, I love that new uh, Murphy lab stuff, like all those Les Pauls. Oh, they're beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Um, those are great, but they're so expensive. And, you know, I've got some older, like I have an R8 that's probably um, a lot older than, and, and not anywhere nice, as nice as the Murphy lab stuff. And I love it, man. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. One of my go-to guitars is still my uh, 2003 Les Paul special faded, you know, it's not. Oh, you got a faded, huh? Yeah, it's awesome. This is my first guitar, my first electric guitar. I still love it. Uh, it's not the nicest guitar I have, but it's one of the ones I still play super often. It's still a great, it definitely plays and sounds better than some very expensive guitars that I have played. So it, you never know what it's going to be. I love my, my 65 Mel- Melody Maker student guitar. I don't know. I love that thing. It rips. It's not always about how much you spend on something. It's does it work for you? I feel like a lot of it too is like the pickups. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're almost hearing the pickups more than you're hearing the actual guitar. And the guitar is more tangible. You can feel it and stuff like that. But the amps, man, and I know it obviously like is in my favor to have this opinion. But <laughs> I think as you go up in the and get nicer hand-built amps like the differences are just amazing you know i mean even Mm -hmm. when you go from obviously everyone knows when you go from solid state to tube like you've crossed an enormous 
barrier oh. in terms of tone. That was know? a game changer. I remember the first time that happened. It was a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest, you know, change. And then when you go from circuit board stuff to hand wired, then there's like another like epiphany when you're like, wow, like this amp is amazing. But then there's like another level, you know, and then I guess there's even more levels once you get up to you know, real Dumble stuff. And there's vintage stuff too. But, um, you know, when you get up to kind of where we're at right now, like I got guys that come in here like, dude, when someone buys an amp from me, like I want to change guitar for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to hear back from them and be like, Taylor, like everything changed. You know, my sound guy is saying I sound better. It feels better. My band's tighter, you know, everything. Um, that's a really the experience I want, but you have to get like into extremely nice amps. People have to make that jump too. Like no one's coming to me from, you know, playing a two rock or a Bluto tone. And they're like, you've changed my life. You know, I'm sure they <laughs> like their new amp, but the guys that are coming from a blues, you know, Fender hot rod deluxe or, you know, somewhere in kind of the middle, like guitar center sort of realm, those guys get a boutique Dumble style amp. And like they've, it's changed, it changes their world. You know what I mean? And that's the experience that I like to give people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm really good friends with Chris Benson. Uh, and so, you know, the first time I was plugging into his stuff, which is not Dumble at all, but just kind of uh, an example of a guy who makes really good, nice sending amps. It really, it changed a lot for me. And it changed a lot for how I thought about creating music, which sounds kind of weird. But it was like, oh, I can just like mostly in the mixing process. I'm like, oh, I can just get this sounding really good in the room, mic it up. And then I don't really have to do that much to it. 99% of the time in post it just get it right coming out of the speaker, get it properly mic'd, and you're good to go, you know, which is yeah. not only a time saver, but it also lets you get into that kind of inspired mode more quickly, you know, where you're Isn't like, that an just amazing creating. feeling. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. Oh, it's it's the best. It's what we all chase all the time, right? It, it's I wish it could happen like like that every time, but a nice amp will go a long way to uh, getting you there quickly. Yeah, or like you get to just that one setting and you hit the note or whatever, and you're like, man, like this is doing what I I actually want it to do, right? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not having to try that hard, and it's doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a special feeling for sure. So have you had the opportunity to, I'm guessing this has happened for you, like make amps for people that you were looking up to musically or you had people come to you that you're like, wow, I never thought I'd be talking to so-and-so, you know, now I'm building them an amplifier. I, I definitely have. Um, yeah, I've gotten the chance to meet and work with like some of my, my heroes, like guys I have um, CDs at home, of, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, I just built a couple amps for Ben Harper. Oh wow! Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's a big Dumble guy. He's got one of Lindley's amps, and I think he has uh, one of the last Overdrive specials ever made. It's a green combo from the nineties. Wow. wow! I know. And and he was taking them on tour, and I think he just got sick of like the liability and having those things out because it's, it's so risky. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, tra- well, it's, a, it's an easy thing to amps. grab. You know, it's like, yeah, now I have a six figure amp in my van, you know? Yeah, man. So I built him two bombshell overdrive amps and he's been touring with them all summer. Uh, that was really cool. 
I just met uh, Robert Randolph this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, we got hit, him and Amp. Uh, I met him at Fenway Park. It was really sweet. Went to like sound check with, with him and the family band. And my nice. wife and I were like hanging out on stage. You know, he's playing a bombshell overdrive. And that was really cool. Um, yeah, man, I'm shipping uh, Jeff Amon an Amp today for Pearl oh, wow. Jam. Wow. Yep. He's nice. been a customer for a couple of years. He's, he's a really nice guy. And uh, he does some guitar stuff on the side. So I know, you know, he's normally a bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to meet Joe Bonamassa. I got him an Amp, which is really cool. Overdrive Reverb. And uh, man, there's been so many other people. I, I, it's hard to even remember all of them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been such a huge perk from the job. And, you know, it, it's, it's fun and it validates like so much of the hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, like this business didn't take me like two or three years to create. Like it took like 10 years you know, of like working till 10 or 11 o'clock oh, at night in my garage yes. and like, you know, burning my hands and like doing like days of woodworking and everything. And so, you know, now like, I'll tell you what, like it's still, it's still hard. I still have to work really hard, you know, keeping things going and, um, you know, branding and all this stuff and growing. Um, but you know, now like meeting these guys and having access to some of the people that I grew up listening to. And it's, it's just amazing, you know, and it says back to me, like, Hey man, like all that hard work was worth it. Absolutely. That's the thing that I I mentioned him on probably every episode because I talk to him every day, but you know, I talk to Scott from Stringjoy every day because we're partners and we're always, there's always a fire to put out. Right. And we've, we mentioned that a few times where it's like, man, this is this is, uh, this is really a grind, not, not in a complainy way, but more in like for how much work it is to be in the MI industry, you, you, the, uh, the revenue isn't necessarily there to back it up. Some people would consider us all crazy for the amount of hours we put in versus the actual dollars at the end of the day. But what I think those people don't understand is what you just talked about. It's not just about like how much money can I make? If it was that, we would be in something else. It's about getting to have those experiences and be a part of music in a real way. Sometimes I had to step back and be like, whoa, that I grew up listening to this person and now they're playing our strings. I'm hearing it live. They're playing our stuff. It, our stuff is helping them make music. And that just is like, the brain just kind of explodes a little bit. And that's, I think, what drives most of us that are in the musical instrument industry because it's not the, uh, it, nobody, very, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people are Scrooge McDucking, uh, through their vault of gold coins, uh, off the backs of this particular industry. Few people are, but 99% of people aren't. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the first guys I worked with was King Zapata. He plays with Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember we met, we went and met him and went backstage and stuff at Hampton beach in New Hampshire. And it was just like, so crazy to have somebody playing an amp of mine on stage. Yeah. And that was, dude, that was like seven or eight years ago. But shortly after that, um, I met Clay cook who is in Zach Brown band mm-hmm. and, uh, dude, he could not be a nicer guy. Um, but he had us come up and go backstage to a Zach Brown show in New Hampshire. And, uh, it was so amazing. I brought him, a steel string singer, 150 watt amp that I built. Ooh. And uh, he ended up playing it that night. Like when we, we went to the show and he played it, it was like, it was so cool. I remember being so nervous. It was going to break, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, this is either going to make or break me, you know? 
That's it a, didn't break. It didn't break. It didn't break. No. Yeah, that's that's funny because I was talking about how amazing it is to to experience that, and I didn't even have that thought enter my brain until Scott actually said it one night. We we were seeing JD Simo uh, in Nashville, and he's like, "Man, I hope those strings don't break." I'm like, yeah. I never even. Now you put that thought in my brain. Like I was never even worried about it, <laughs> but now I'm sitting. Oh here yeah. Like, don't break a string because strings do break. Uh, we do our best to ensure that doesn't happen, but it it still happens. And uh, he didn't break a string, so it's fine. I asked Scott though after the show, I was like, "Any of our artists that you've went to their shows, have you ever seen them break a string?" He's like, "Well, no." I'm like, "Then why do you get so nervous about it? And why do you make me so nervous about it?" We were fine because it's gonna happen eventually. <laughs> it's gonna happen you know? <laughs> eventually. I know that's what exactly what he said. But yeah, it's um, it is. It's a funny business because I think most of us got into, you know whatever sector of the MI industry because we grew up loving music. And for me, it it took a little bit. I got a little bit distracted there for a few years. I got so wrapped up in the gear and showing the gear that I forgot to make music with it. I mean, I would still like do demos and technically play music, but it wasn't anything that spoke to my heart and soul the way that music did at one point. You know, it's I think a lot of us can lose sight of that. Have you ever struggled with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm here every day and it's funny because like I'm not playing out in a band and I'm not sitting home and playing guitar, but I'm probably playing more guitar than I ever have, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm just doing amps all day long and I test all the products that go out and I like to sit with them for a few minutes and just make sure they sound right. Um, and, And it's fun. You know what I mean? It's a nice way to spend the day when you're playing picking up a nice guitar every few minutes and trying a new amp. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, man, like I've definitely sometimes felt like I have to play guitar that isn't connected to electricity. Yeah. You know, like I got to sit down. So like I got some acoustics and sometimes I just need to like sit and just like play acoustic mm-hmm. because the electric stuff ends up feeling so much like work, especially when you're sitting and testing something. You know, I could sit in here and play an amp and the whole time I'm gonna be like, well, is it sound right? Do I need to check the bright switch? You know, does the foot switch work correctly? Like, you know what I mean? It's all in your head. And sometimes that, that connection is just like almost something that needs to be reset. So yeah, man, I'll just sit with an acoustic every once in a while and just jam it for like 30 or 45 minutes and really just kind of get back into that music thing. Cause that connection is just like so pure, at least for me, yeah. like where it's not something that I built, not something I created, not something that if it breaks, it's going to be my fault, not something I have to fix. You know what I mean? Like it kind of backs you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it's, you know, it is tough. I think a lot of people, and I talked to a lot of musicians, like people do go in and out with the guitar. You know, there's periods of time in your life, like maybe you don't play for, for three months, you know? And I think I've probably had a couple of those. Like, it's been a long time. Like, I've been doing this um, as my main thing for a while. But uh, every time that happened, I always came back, like, so much stronger. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you have the the drive back. You know, it's a... Uh... I think it's probably hard to explain, but anybody that's listening to this show, I think, understands that. Like, the first time you heard Insert Song Here, it did something for you. Like, in your heart. Like, in your core as your person. Like, whatever song that is for you. And I think what we are always trying to do is, like, recapture that. We're always trying to reach out and find that feeling. And, you know, I was literally just talking to my wife about this right before I came to do this. Because she she was talking some weird thing with her phone. She listens to more music than anybody I know. She's always got her phone streaming something, playing something. It's always, always music. Always. Yep. And for me, most of the time when I have headphones on, honestly, it's podcasts. 
And she was asking me like, why, why is that? You're like so in love with music that you made it a career somehow. How come you don't spend more time with it? And I told her, it was like, because when I'm listening, a lot of times I have to intentionally try not to analyze it, you know, because I'm listening. Oh, what, what kind of reverb is that? Oh, what, oh, what was that? You know, it doesn't even matter what the song is. It could be hip hop. It could be metal. It could be anything. I'm always trying to figure out unintentionally what, oh, what did they do there? What is that? I'm always analyzing it and I'm not just absorbing it for what it is, you know? Yeah. And, and so it, it becomes less of a passive thing that I can enjoy and more of an active thing unintentionally. And, and so podcasts for me, I can just, I can kind of just turn them on and pull weeds or whatever it is I'm doing that I'm trying to distract myself from. And she was like, that's so weird. Cause I'm, she's not a musician. Uh, and so she doesn't really have that. You know, and it's a, it's yeah. just a, it's kind of a weird discussion to have as musicians where music becomes more analytical than it is like soul searching sometimes. For That's some exactly us. what I'm trying, what I'm saying too. It's like, you know, it comes to this thing where you're like paying so close attention to the details that you're not enjoying the experience. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's why I really enjoyed going to the orchestra because I don't know anything about an orchestra. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I was just like, I can just sit back and, and listen, you know, and uh, when I go to a rock show, it's not quite the same thing anymore. I'm always trying to pick out what's happening. And I wish I could just turn that off. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that I have the ability to do that. But I do wish I could turn it off sometimes. It's funny. We go to a lot of shows and I like it when they're playing my amps. But uh, what I, and, and it's funny because I'm like, well, man, I wish I could just go to a show where like somebody wasn't playing my amp. But then I go to those shows and I'm like, man, I wish this guy was playing my amps. <laughs> You know, we, we can never be satisfied. The eternal struggle of the musician. We're always, we're always yeah. going to be upset about something or another. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, uh, it's always like, man, I hope that amp doesn't break. You know, we just saw a band in Boston a few weeks ago, Dalton and the sheriffs. Um, one of my buddies is the guitar player. It was a really cool show. It was in Fenway. They got a new venue and one of the guitar players was playing the dirty wonderland with a big one by 12. And, uh, luckily he had been gigging it nonstop for like two months. So, I was in the clear. Yeah. You know, like, so it was really fun. great. That was fun. I got to hear that, that, uh, that amp be played, but it is a good experience, you know, especially, um, when I see these guys that are performing and they're, they're using the gear that like I created yeah. and, and they love it, you know, they really love it and they're as happy as they could be, you know what I mean? With the product. And that's really why you do it for. Mm -hmm. So we, we've been talking a lot about the amps. Obviously, that's the bread and butter. But you also make some pedals. You want to talk about that a little bit? We kind of glossed over that. Yeah, sure, man. So I make the Big Bloom Overdrive pedal. And it has never been like any of like really a main product for me. Um, mm -hmm. You'd mentioned before the gear page, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I used to go on the gear page a lot. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I've built uh, my business there, but I definitely got some help. And it's funny because some of the the threads on there, um, you know, sometimes weren't all that positive from some of the guys. And those, like, I, I always try to do the right thing, you know, when I was building this business for people and I really tried to create a good product. So every time there'd be a negative thread on there, it would actually boost my business, you know, really? which is kind of funny. Yeah. Cause like it would never be, you know, it's always just like the haters, you know what I mean? And, and the TGP guys, like they're kind of a mix. Like some of the guys, love something. Some of the guys just don't like anything, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, where I was going with this was, uh, probably back in 2014, there was a pedal called the Dumbloid. 
That sounds familiar. I think I remember it was, that. It was made in Japan by this guy named Shin. And they were selling for 600 bucks. And like everyone was on there kind of like, you know, just ripping it apart. Like, oh, how could you possibly make a pedal for $600? It had um, the labels on the front. It wasn't like silkscreen. Like somebody made labels with one of those Elmo punches. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so, of course, like that was just getting the guys in deeper water with the, with the gear page guys. So I had two people approach me and they were like, Hey Taylor, like if we buy one of these pedals and send it to you, will you reverse engineer it and build us a clone? And I was like, kind of new to like the whole, like I don't clone stuff now, but back then I was like, sure, man. You know what I mean? sounds like a cool project. Mm -hmm. And so they sent me one of those pedals and I ended up making a few clones of it and I called it the big bloom and word got out that I was cloning it. And then everybody wanted one. Right. So I was and hand building them. $600, I'm assuming. Yeah, I sold it for th like $300, which, you know, is still expensive for a pedal. But, uh, you know, I was hand building them and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of my my only venture into the pedal world. But it was cool, man. Like I made, I've made, I've made about 500 of them and I used to cover them in suede. So mm -hmm. I would like dr drill them and then like wrap them or I'd wrap them in Tolex. I did some painted ones too, but it's a cool pedal. It's, it's really throaty. It's, it's high gain. It's got a lot of volume to it. Um, and uh, it does like the dumble thing, like the controlled feedback and the note flipping, um, and the, you know, chirpy kind of saxophone. Um, but, uh, it's a cool pedal, man. Yeah. You, you haven't tried it. I should send you one. I'd, I'd love to try one. I'm a, I'm obsessive. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Yeah, with dude, pedals. I'll send you, we got, some, we got some here. We just built a few of them this week. I'll send you one. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I can't wait to check it out. I, 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 I have, I am so, I thought that I would like eventually get out of this pedal thing not like get out of it like i'm never gonna like them again i just thought that the sheen would start to wear off at some point and i wouldn't be yep. like this obsessed pedal person and then it hasn't we are brought to you today by sweetwater specifically the gear exchange you may have heard about this this is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because... Let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Goodhertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. 
and some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseflintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. I don't know what is wrong with me. There's something. What are your What are your favorite pedals? Are you like into? Is it like delays or do you like everything? Like time based stuff? I like everything. I really do. It sounds like a cop out, but if I, if I had to pick my favorite, like straight up favorite, if I could only play with two types of pedals ever again, it would probably be reverbs and fuzz. You know? Yeah. Uh, just because they do, they change you. They change it so drastically but in a way that I'm very familiar with how to control. So even if I'm running them backwards and running reverbs into fuzzes and like doing all kinds of, I, I've done that so much. I'm very familiar with how to control it and what it's going to do. Like I'm very comfortable with the wild nature of, of those things. Yep. But I really love everything. Like this new Maris LVX, they call it a modular delay system. And that's true. It is that, but it is so many other things. There's bit crushers in there. There's so, so many things to play with with that thing. It is like a supercomputer. It's not really a multi-effect as much as it is something that you can like build your own chain of stuff out of. It's really, really wild. It's 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 very hard to explain. <laughs> That's cool. Do you, do you remember those old units that like Boss made and they'd be, you know, a multi-effect? Oh yeah, have like a bunch of different banks and stuff. Those were so cool, but I felt like I could never get back to like where I was on them. You know, they they'd, they'd be like, "Oh, you can store all your presets and make up your own user and stuff, stuff like that." I would sit with one of those and I'd have a great time, and then I'd sit down with it and it would just sound completely different. But <laughs> those were always fun, man. Like they had like the octaves and 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 just a bunch of different things you could do with them. Yeah, those were interesting. I just got rid of one recently uh, for kind of for that reason. I was like, I don't. I'm not gigging, you know, I'm not somebody that's ever even really been that interested in, in playing live. I mean, I have here and there, but it's, I'm, I'm just like such a studio nerd. I just want to be in the studio recording things and making these wildly, like completely impractical chains, you know? And so those, those all in one things, even like the modern versions, like the Helix, while I appreciate their utility and they do sound way better than they ever have, it's still not. It doesn't excite me. I, if I was gigging, if I was flying around, yeah, I'd probably consider something like that just from a practical standpoint. But it doesn't excite me, and it's never do has. Ever, do you ever mess with uh, stereo stuff? Oh, like oh, it's my bread and butter. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. That's where it's at, man. Mm-hmm. Stereo delays, couple, stereo reverbs, like flangers and choruses. Mm-hmm. We we had two identical amps in here last week that this guy ordered just for this purpose so he could run run them in stereo. Yeah. And how one of my guys bring his board in and it was like one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Like I've done a little bit of stereo stuff but like this was different. You know, yeah. cuz we had two identical setups so we just set all the controls exactly the same mm-hmm. and like and he had this big board, man, and uh, all the flangers and like the trem. Some of the stereo trems, like oh. the, the dude, just bouncing around back and forth. Oh, so cool! Yeah, the I like the uh, the the trem. There's a few that do it. The one I use the most is the Mister Black Panatrem, and it's like it gives you that panning effect. It sounds like it's moving, like not ping ponging back and forth, but like actually sweeping back and forth. And it's it'll mess your brain up in a good way. 
Like <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's I definitely try to take advantage when we have so many amps around. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to play a loop into like one amp and then I can go jam over another amp. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a good that's a good time. So what kind of like pedal board are you running? Are you into lots of effects or are you more straight in guy most of the time? I'm more of a straight in guy. Like mm-hmm. I really like effects pedals and I have a great time when we use them. But uh, a lot of times like I'm more of a delay. Mm-hmm. I like re- I really like reverb, but I try to get reverb from the amp whenever possible. It's a couple models we have that don't have reverb. And then I'll put a reverb pedal in the loop. But uh, I really like delay. You know, I've, I've had a... Uh, zillions of delay pedals i'm st- I'm stuck on the boss dd5 right now oh, okay um, which i love you mm-hmm. know absolutely digital delay um so that's really great um yeah but i've always been straight kind of straight in i think one of the things like being an amp builder is i've just always wanted to connect like with the amp yeah. you know um so i think it's important for me to have that mentality um but uh I'd love to get a big board. Like I see these guys have the boards and they're all organized and the power supplies. And then I find out there's pedals in the bottom of them and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'd love to have something like that with the switcher. Um, and I, I've had some guys offer to build me one in the past for trade and stuff. And I've just never kind of never, never really adopted it, but uh, I don't play out either. So like, I feel like if I was playing out, I would definitely have a, a nice board, but yeah. you, you must have one, right? Well, that's the funny joke. You know, that's the funny thing about me. So I because because I don't play out, I do. I have a couple of very nice boards here that I should, by all rights, like have set up nicely. There's nothing on them because I I'm I just have a table that I set up like I never plug into the same rig twice, hardly. So I'll just grab pedals out, set up some ridiculous effects chain, plug into two amps and just go and just be off to the races. And then the next day, I'll come and I'll take it all apart and put those away and put something completely different together. So my thing is like, I think it's just the way I like to record. You know, I'm using the pedals so intensively. I'm playing the pedals almost as much or more than the guitar half the time. Yeah. You know, so I'm twisting feedback knobs while I'm holding notes and doing all kinds of weird stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't have an actual board set up ever. And I haven't for years. I, uh, right before, I think it was it was right before lockdown. Actually, I made a statement. I was like, "I'm gonna make, a, I'm gonna put together a board, you know, do it all nice, you know, <laughs> zip tied, put it all together, and I'm not gonna touch it for a year." And I was uh, gonna go up to some people and have them help me set it up. We were gonna do a whole video on it, and then lockdown happened, and that just gave me an excuse to keep doing my weird ways. I was like, "Well, I guess we'll get to that one of these days, maybe." Um, so. I probably should revisit that project. It would be a fun, yeah. fun video, bro. I've got like a huge board in the other room with a power supply set up that I've had for four years. Yeah, not exactly. one pedal on it. I think I think I lost all the little like adapters, even that like you can plug into the to the power. What is it? Power block or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. Um, but I do the same thing as you. Like I'll I'll just grab a reverb pedal or a delay pedal for like what I'm doing right now. Yeah, you know. And every once in a while, I'll put them in in a chain. I'll use more than one, and and I and I have the epiphany too sometimes where I'm like, man, I wish I had a board. <laughs> right. <You> know, like, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I didn't have to put these together every time. Yep. But that's just the way you do it. And what's funny too is like you get guys like us that like have so much gear, and we use it so differently than you'd think. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't know what people would 
would normally think that I would do, but it's, yeah, it's not what I thought I would do if I ever had a lot of gear. I never thought ever in my wildest dreams that I'd be doing this for a living and have this space available to me. Like if, if you would have told me that when I was 20, I'd been like, you're on crack. There's no way that's ever going to happen. And so I'm like blown away that I get to do this all the time. Dude, same. I never thought that I could just be a full-time amp builder. It's wild. You know, sp- yeah. Like, especially like living, we live in Massachusetts. It's like cost of living is insane here. And, uh, and it's made it work, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's shout out to everybody that's like listening to this right now. I'm sure you got customers of yours that are going to hear this, you know, all the listeners of this podcast. That's the only reason I don't, if nobody was paying any attention to this, then I would have to go back to, you know, crawling under trucks again. And I'm not above doing it. I'll do it if I have to, but I'm, I'm certainly thankful to not have to do that anymore. Yeah, bro. I was selling cell phones, you know? This is so much better. <laughs> it's so much better. Yeah, so I feel like maybe some of our earlier statements might sound like we were like kind of maybe complaining a little bit. I, and neither of us were. It was just like, yeah. just more expressing like, this is something that I didn't see coming with this job, really. Yeah, well, I think it, you got to think about it. Like the journey is probably the most important part of the whole thing. And the, But if you want to do something like this, like the journey is kind of hard. Yeah. You know, and it takes a long time. Um, but... I wouldn't trade any of that experience for anything. No, absolutely you not. Know? And uh, that's how you fail and you make the mistake. So when you get to the point where you can actually do this, you can actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one thing I've said this on the podcast many, many times. But one of the things I heard, it was a, a newer pedal builder came up to Josh Scott, JHS Pedals at NAM. I was standing there. And I don't remember who it was. I wish I could remember who it was, but they just went up to him and said, Hey Josh, you've been doing this a long time. What are advice, you know, what's some advice you have for a smaller builder? And he just said, stick around. He was like, yeah, just, if you can just stick around and exist in this industry, you're going to be doing better than 99% of people who try to get into it. Just stick around. Most people are going to quit. You know, it's so um, true. We've, I've already seen some things that have happened in that time frame. I was like, wow, that's interesting advice. And then I don't, I'm not, I wasn't even sure if I fully understood what he meant by that, you know? Yeah. And now I've seen it. I've seen people come and go just in my time. And I'm like, wow, he's 100% right. Sticking around is the hardest part. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Especially, you know, if you're going to try to go full time with it too. Mm-hmm. It's easy to stick around when you have it as a side hustle. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, Luckily for me, I got my wife has been very helpful too. Like she helped me grow the business and build the business, and it was cool. And we wanted to take her full time and stuff. So like I couldn't have done it without her. Oh, Um, absolutely. Yeah. I you know if my wife didn't support me in this, it would have never happened. Never ever. Yeah, and I I think that crushes a lot of people's dreams too. Like you know, guys that do want to do something like this, that they're tough. They don't have a supportive spouse or someone that can do it with them. You know, there's a million reasons to not go into business for yourself. And when you want to do something that's like in a like in one of your passions, there's like unfortunately there's even more reasons why you shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? In your head, in your head at least, like you make more excuses. And yeah, you just got to overcome that stuff. You know. Yeah. And this is a subject that gets brought up a lot on this show. And I, I try to talk about it as much as I can. And a lot of people have reached out after episodes like these, where I've said, we've said these type of things. And I'm like, you know, it's, this is not an, if somebody doesn't want to have their own business, 
I totally understand that. I am less stressed having my own business. And that's weird. My dad was a ball of stress when he tried to have his own business. It was terrible for him. Like, yeah, he, he just isn't wired that way. You know, it, I think a lot of it comes down to just got to know yourself and that's going to make you happier no matter what you're doing. Just recognize what makes you tick and what works for you. And you're going to be immensely happier regardless of your career path. Yeah, totally. And this, the stress is just different too. Like you don't have someone that's breathing down your neck looking for results, but there's stress in creating those results for yourself. Yes. Yep. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not to say it's not stressful. It super is. But I would take that second kind of stress any day. Yes. You know? I'd, I'm more comfortable with it being on me. It's yeah, just, totally. I, I just, I've always been that way. I, that's why I didn't like team sports. <laughs> 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 well, man, we are getting down to the last few minutes of this podcast. And I want to take a second and let you take the floor. And if there's something you want to say to a few thousand people, shout out your grandma talk about whatever you want to talk about. Now is your opportunity to, to do that. Oh, thanks so much, man. Yeah. Well, again, Blake, like, thanks for having me on the show. I was really excited. I got to meet you. Um, you know, been talking for a few months and, uh, I'm, I'm just very grateful to be able to connect with guys like you and have an audience online that, that wants to see this. Um, and I'm super grateful that I've been able to, you know, cultivate this business and, you know, meet so many great people within the industry and my customers and, you know, really actually build something that is starting to really matter. You know, mm -hmm. I got a couple guys working here now, which um, has been tremendous for me, like teaching them about amps, how to work with amps, how to solder. Um, and that's actually become a new passion of mine too. Cause like, obviously I love the amps. I love the music. I love the customers. And now I'm starting to love teaching these guys and developing them and, and kind of just like, building the business and watching things grow, you know, mm -hmm. so it's been awesome. But yeah, man, I, I guess I don't really have anything specific, but I would like to say thank you for all the guys that have been, uh, been there along the way and used Amplified Nation amps and our customers and our, and our artists. And I hope that uh, everyone's really enjoying our products. Very cool, man. Thank you for that. That was great. All right. Final questions. These are the classic questions I wrap up every episode with. One of which you may have sort of answered already, but we'll find out. First one is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Uh, my boss pedal, I like the DD5, okay. as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a digital reverb that I use a lot. It's like but, RV2? Dude, I don't know. My favorite one's, it's probably the grunge pedal. The grunge? That's was not that a boss? boss. That's not a oh, boss. Oh, come on. That's Digitech. Digitech. It yeah. was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, so I'll go with the DD5 then. All right, that works. <laughs> <laughs> but if Boss did make a grunge pedal, hmm, hmm, I have to talk to my. I could have sworn that was a grunge. It was a uh, Boss pedal. So it's very ago. much and still in the same like style of enclosure. Yep. Like it, it, Digitech just was like, "Hey, Will, that looks like a good enclosure. We'll use that." Um, <laughs> so yeah, I can understand the confusion. Final question. And this is the one that gets a little dicey, a little controversial, especially with people over there on the East Coast. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Ah, oh, pizza, man. Um, I would say the New York style pizza. Mm -hmm. We always get it when we're driving up from the city. They make they. Uh, I don't know if it's the same style in Connecticut, but Connecticut has New like the yeah, mm -hmm. like that's like the best pizza in the whole world. It's so good. My wife went to Quinnipiac in Connecticut, so we're like always down there seeing friends and stuff mm -hmm. and. Um, Pepe's, I think it's Pepe's. Yep. yep. Yeah. So good, man. Mm -hmm. That's the pizza. Uh, I have a t-shirt from there. 
Shout out Eric. He sent me the t-shirt. I yeah, still have not been there yet, but I will. I will get there. I will. Yeah, that's the pizza though. Oh man, it's we have a New Haven style pizzeria here from a guy that is from there, and it's like the best pizza in town. Shout out Demos here in Portland. It's just uh, I'm hungry now. Great, that's just what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. We're gonna slide over to Patreon now, and we'll get real weird with it. All right, sounds good, Blake. Thanks again. Yeah, of course. For Taylor, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I am still here in the lobby of the Mark Queen Hotel in Seattle, Washington. I have to say, I'm at the tail end of my stay here. I really enjoyed it. It's a very cool old building, like a 1918 or something like that. I know, the, for the British listeners, they're like, my garden shed is that old. But for us in the States, that's an old building. It used to house, like, Henry Ford's engineering school, or no, I think the people who went to the engineering school stayed here, something like that. But apparently it's haunted. I know I said that in the intro, but as I'm recording this, I still haven't seen any ghosts yet, which is, you know, slightly... Slightly to my chagrin. Anyway, if you want more, if you want more of this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash mob, and for five bucks a month, you can hear what else Taylor and I talked about. Yeah, we talked about some other stuff. We did indeed. And I hope you go there. I hope you check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. We also have, as I said, an ad-free option of this podcast for three bucks a month. You can go to patreon.com slash tonemob and you can see that. And we also have some other tiers. I say we. I mean me, because there's no one else involved. It's just me. It's just me over here. Wait, was that a ghost? I don't know. Anyway, I'm over here just wondering if that's a ghost or not. Yeah, if I get abducted or abducted by ghosts is that a thing i don't think that's a thing anyway if you want to get those ad free episodes you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob and check all that stuff out and as always please 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 tell a friend about this show it doesn't exist without you i appreciate you so much i'm gonna be coming at you with some more internet content very very soon i hope you enjoyed this conversation and i will talk to you later One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. 
Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, 